I'd like to welcome our first sponsor to the official Do Good Better podcast, and that is DonorDoc. Listen, as a nonprofit, DonorDoc knows that you wear many different hats, and that's why they are here to help you make your life easier. DonorDoc helps you connect with your donors on a deeper level and provides you with the tools to become the ultimate fundraiser. There are other instantly cool features too, but we know connecting and staying connected with your donors are high on most of your priority lists. Hey, guess what? DonorDoc is so awesome, and I'm telling you, so awesome, that to everyone listening, they are giving you a 100% discount off your first month. That's right, 100% off. It's absolutely free to use for your first month. All you have to do is use the referral code DOGOODBETTER, and you're set. Again, do good better. It's simple. It's easy. Head to DonorDoc.com to learn more and get started. Hey, thanks, DonorDoc, for being an official sponsor of the official Do Good Better podcast. Your organization is awesome, but sometimes you want to be even awesomer. It's time to get your fundraising on with your host, fundraising expert and author, Patrick Kirby. Hey, everybody, it's uh, Patrick Kirby, and it is the official Do Good Better podcast. I'm your host, and uh, again, this podcast is dedicated and uh, intentional for uh, small and medium-sized nonprofits uh, doing wonderfully huge things. And again, this is kind of a continuation of a series we're doing, uh, addressing COVID-19 and fundraising issues. And I am beyond ecstatic uh, to have our next guest, and I think you're going to not only learn a ton Uh, But you're going to be motivated in a more positive way that you're going to survive and no, nay, thrive uh, in these fundraising challenges. With us today uh, is uh, Martin Liefeld. He is an author. He is a speaker. He is an author of Five Minutes for Fundraising, a book that you should be reading and a collection of stories from professional fundraisers all over the place. He's a master fundraiser uh, over the course of his 40-year career, has raised over $500 million. And you said... We should probably get some experts like this. So we listened and answered. Five hundred million. You didn't read. You listened to that wrong. Five hundred million. Martin, thank you so much for being on the official Do Good Better podcast. How are you today? Well, I'm I'm great, Patrick. Uh, uh, particularly given the challenges we have, and I'm honored to spend some time with you and to serve you and your audience. I am. Uh, I we're blessed to have you. So if somebody's tuning in and they see your name and they say, "Well, this is interesting in the podcast notes," I want to listen to uh, Martin what he has to say. Kind of a five thousand foot view. How did you get to uh, where you are, and how did you get into fundraising? And kind of give us a little background on you. Well, I kind of backed into fundraising. I was doing uh, work at a university, a small liberal arts university, kind of responsible for growing um, its external. Um, uh, reputation and engagement, but not fundraising. And, you know, I did some fundraising during those years. About I was there for 12 years uh, in terms of programming, going out and visiting with people uh, who were supportive. But uh, I learned a lot about fundraising because I'm kind of a sponge sort of guy. I'm always trying to listen and learn and reflect. And a friend of mine, Matt Senecal, who's still a fundraiser out, out in the Northwest now, uh, God keep him safe. Uh, he was uh, the only real full-time fundraiser at that university back in the day. It's a small institution. And uh, so we hung out together and I absorbed a lot from him. So when my first opportunity came along, um, uh, 
I talked to him almost daily for the first two weeks. And uh, of course, got some training through the AF, AFP. Now, in the old days, the NSFRE, it was called. That was probably before your time, Patrick. But, um, I, you know, I jumped in and got going. And, um, but I, yeah, I've spent 40 plus years in leadership roles. Uh, 25 of those years were at universities, but not all in fundraising, as I mentioned. And I've, I spent, I've spent 25 years now dedicated to fundraising. I, my last gig, was 10 years at the University of Missouri, St. Louis, which is an urban land grant institution here in the St. Louis region as vice chancellor for advancement. So, you know, I was over all the external affairs of the university serving the chancellor and so on. And we had, you know, a great run. Since then, I retired about a year and a half ago and uh, a little bit earlier than I wanted to, to be candid, Patrick, because of some health, health surprises. And, uh, but yeah, as you mentioned, uh, author, coach, consultant, speaker. Uh, I have a website called martinlifel.com. Uh, on there is about 125 videos on fundraising leadership. Uh, you mentioned a book, and I appreciate that. I'm doing a lot of podcasts right now. And podcasts, these kind of conversations are perfect, Patrick, because if somebody wanted me to go somewhere, I couldn't do it. If I wanted to go and speak somewhere, I couldn't do it. So. Right. You know, podcasts are just uh, terrific, and and I might also parenthetically add, gee, if uh, if only I had invested in Zoom, being an early investor, I'd be I'd be a wealthy man today. <laughs> that early retirement <laughs> wouldn't matter there. Uh, you'd be <laughs> living pretty. Well, and I think it's so it's I think it's so wonderful to have you on as a guest because um, you know, our, try to gain perspective from a from a, an extensive career. And trying to look back and, and say, all right, where have there been points uh, along your fundraising career where we have seen a pause in fundraising as great as this or a disruption in the normal fundraising routines? And I think a lot of small and medium-sized nonprofits specifically are just in a frozen mode. And they're looking for just a path forward or a piece of advice or a nugget of information that they can say, all right, I can take this and I can run and we can get through this together and it's going to be amazing. My favorite thing you mentioned though, and we talk about this all the time, is most of our fundraisers are accidental fundraisers. They always just happen to be in a different role and they say, hey, can you raise money? And people say, of course I can. And they just get thrown into it. And so even, even if you're just starting out and you're listening to this podcast, you're saying, well, I don't know if I can do this or I don't know if I can. We're all accidental fundraisers. Nobody goes into this going, you know, I'd love to ask people for money for a living. We just end up doing it. So let's learn from the master and let's figure out how we can get through this together. So Martin, for, for, for my first question is, have we ever seen anything like this? And is there anything in your career that you can either uh, remotely uh, draw from on how we can just wrap our minds about COVID-19 and just stopping fundraising and pausing for a while and just going, what happened? All right. Well, for one thing, I would say don't stop uh, to all the, all organizations, all nonprofits, all fundraisers. We could go talk about that for a moment, but in terms of the story, yeah, you know, this is unparalleled. This is, this is unbelievable. It's been a hard stop on the economy, hard stop on our activities, hard stop in so many respects. But we can, there's all kinds of things we can be doing as nonprofits to seize the moment. But uh, the closest thing, closest parallel I, I have, uh, which hopefully will encourage people, is back in 1998, um, in August, I started, I, I came to work as a vice chancellor and uh, I inherited a, a 
campaign that was to be seven years in duration, three years were under, had, had taken place, and I was to take that campaign public. Well, you know, I came in rock and rock, you know, to rock and roll, and you know, I was I was so excited. And uh, in September, if you remember, maybe you don't remember. You're so young. I'm just teasing you. But you know, uh, uh, you'll remember that the Great Recession hit with this enormous thud. And, uh, you know, I observed uh, uh, campaigns stopping, absolutely coming to a stop, being postponed, others being postponed, that organizations that were all geared up, ready to go, saying, well, we can't raise money in this environment. And I was sitting there perplexed because I wasn't hired to, you know, advise our chancellor at the university, we better stop. So uh, as I was kind of working through this quandary, I came across an article, and in it, a fellow, uh, uh, Robert Sharp, who's from the southeastern United States, a marvelous um, consultant, was quoted as saying, some organizations during the Great Depression had raised more money than what they had raised during the Roaring Twenties. And Patrick, I read that, and it was like, boom, green light. Let's go. I went and told my boss, we're going Yes. full steam ahead. And here's what, you know, the long and the short of it is. What we found is, yeah, people, you know, people were shocked about, you know, the loss of value of their resources, their stocks, their bonds, their holdings, and so on. But they were still passionate about what they were passionate about. And we went and had conversations and brought proposals to people and to organizations and they were responsive. They did what they could. Now, maybe they didn't do what we had hoped for originally, but, you know, people don't stop being philanthropic in nature because their resources change. I mean, you know, a philanthropic disposition is far deeper than a checkbook, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and, and we had to be more flexible. We couldn't get, you know, people couldn't write the checks. They had to do it over time. And some people did combinations of, I uh, do a little bit now, but, you know, let me put something in our will and so on and so forth. And in that year, which was a fiscal year, you know, July 1 to June 30th, 2008 to 2009, we raised 54% more than the previous year. And we raised 54% more than any year at the University of Missouri, St. Louis. So. I know it can be done. And yeah, you know, I think if we have a scarcity mindset, we're frozen. We quickly become frozen because, oh my gosh, there isn't enough there. People, people won't give. And I would say, you know, we need to have an abundant point of view. I believe that funding is limitless for those of us who go out and get it. We have to work hard and we have to work smart and we have to, yes, absolutely respect and be sensitive to uh, what our donors find themselves experiencing. But that should not prohibit us from having honest conversations with them and seeing if there's an opportunity for support. I, I think that's so wonderful because here's an opportunity for you as a fundraiser to have conversations with people at a rate that you've never had the opportunity to do because they're all at home. You, you, part of the problem is like, well, I don't know if I'll be able to get a hold of that person. Now you will. They're sitting with nothing else to do. They're, they're, they're sheltered in place. They're waiting for some activity or entertainment or whatever. And I think shifting the focus to saying, how are you doing? 
Um, how are you holding out? Here's what we're doing at our organization to thrive uh, in an environment like this. Here's what you did that allowed us to continue services. To begin a conversation and be empathetic and understanding that, you know, be self-aware that this is a tough time. But to stop the conversation completely means that they're not thinking about you as much as you're thinking about them. And I think the turn here is what organizations are going to get creative on how they uh, communicate, uh, what are they saying, and how are they going to continue to express the need for donations and support and then get creative about how they can get it. Those that make that turn and that pivot are going to be, I think, unbelievably successful, even in an environment that everybody tells you that it's going to be horrible. Yeah. Horrible. And I think that I think you're right. That abundance mindset needs to be first and foremost, more than anything now. More than ever, you need to be that positive um, voice and that positive outlook because everybody's looking for something positive to latch onto because it's all doom and gloom if you read any other thing outside of you know your own little world, right? That's right. You know, a couple of thoughts. Um, absolutely, we need to engage with people. And uh, I've always taught our people and practiced over the years, you know, the, you know simply the 80-20 rule. Mm -hmm. When you go and engage with people, let them do 80% of the communicating. Ask them questions. And this is a moment people want to talk. There's so much anxiety. There's fear. There's worry, if not for their own circumstances, for those around them, those they love. And to ask, as you said, how are you doing? How is your family? Well, my goodness, what's going on with your business or, or your profession, given what's going on? And express empathy and give them the time to talk. They will reciprocate by listening to you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you think about leading up to this hard stop that we're now experiencing, you know, it was hard for anybody to listen to you because we're all going a million miles per hour and we didn't have time actually to even share personally. Well, now we have this moment to really go deeper with our donors. And, you know, when we think about the long view of fundraising, that um, we're talking about the lifetime of the donor and their relationship to our organization, let's think longer term. I don't mean we're not asking, but let's think longer term. We're building the relationship for a lifetime for our organization and to the benefit uh, of the donor. The other thing I would say is, you, you know, uh, I think everybody knows this, you raise the most money through face-to-face -face work. Yep. And you get in front of people, you build relationships, you have conversations, you give them the gift of your time. And of course, uh, we are blessed and fortunate when they give us a gift of their time. Mm -hmm. Well, we're having this conversation through Zoom. Turn it on, folks. And, and use use FaceTime, use, use Duo, uh, you know, uh, use Skype, use Zoom. Get your face-to-face -face meetings. People will welcome it. Hey, you may have to hold somebody's hand and say, hey, don't forget to turn, us, uh, uh, turn it off mute. <laughs> you know, old people like me, right, Patrick? <laughs> I, want, I don't know anything what you're talking about. Uh, no, uh, it's true. funny you say that, though, because, Martin, Martin uh, grandparents who can't see their grandkids are learning how to use this. Right. Grandparents who have the resources that you have been trying to track down as an organization for years are now using this platform. and. Right. What used to be weird about like, hey, I'll Skype you or hey, I'll, I'll boom, beam you in on something is the new normal. It and is. those that, that need to, you need to embrace the new normal. 
And this is just something that people are getting used to. Uh, they're doing it at a rate and, and a quick, uh, quick, a quick swiftness that nobody expected. But yeah, my parents who are, you know, hey, I'd love to see the grandkids once, you know, once a day or every other day just to check in to see how you're doing because they can't leave the house. What a wonderful opportunity to connect with your donors who are looking for connection and, 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 and to humanize. We can't have coffee face-to-face sitting next to each other anymore, but we can do it digitally. And because this is now people are getting used to this, it's okay. It, you've now the barriers have been eliminated to how you can approach people in a digital platform. And I think that is so freeing right. to the people who are taking the opportunity to connect with donors on a personal level. And then now that you're listening and you're listening to these stories, you're documenting and jotting every single thing down about how they love their parents and their, and their family and their friends and their dogs or whatever. And now you know a great deal more so that when you come out and they've got an opportunity for, um, to fund something, you know more about your donor now than you did when you were not paying attention because you were so desperate for a check or some sort of payment. And you can make those intimate connections now that make you a deeper, uh, relatable human being, which then inevitably will they will connect to your organization for what you said beautifully, which is long term. I think that's, I think it's gorgeous. Yeah. Well, and I think you're right. Uh, you make a very important point about taking notes. So yeah, I've had the privilege to engage with hundreds of donors in the course, in the course of my career. And uh, there's no way, because I'm not that smart, that I could remember everything they, they told me. But I would take notes, and, and this is about a, a proper preparation prevents poor performance. I always spent a good deal of time doing call preparation and sometimes rehearsal and structuring the call so I knew what I wanted to achieve and how I wanted to go about getting it accomplished in a call. So uh, I just lost my train of thought. That's what we do. Heck. But here's here's the the note-taking thing is so critical because if you, if I mean, I knew knew a guy who fundraised up here who would just sit in his car right after a meeting and he would just jot down pages and pages of notes because he was going to go and meet with the next person and would completely forget. And we think we have the superpower as fundraisers to remember everything, and we don't. And it's okay. And the thing is, back to my point, which I now remember, you know, I'm 65 years old, ladies and gentlemen, cut me a little slack. But but what happens is when we have our next engagement with them and we can go back and say, well, Patrick, so how's Mary doing? I know you said she was having a rough time in school. Or how did the wedding go for Mary? Was it the time of your life? Yeah. Uh, And you, you tell people this. Yes, they understand you're there because you're representing a a cause, but you care about them more than the cause. And that's why I coined the term what I call facilitators of philanthropy. That's what a fundraiser is. The role of of a fundraiser is to stand on behalf of your organization and between or alongside a donor and, uh, and care for them and help them to achieve greatness by being affiliated with your organization over the course of time. And that's through advice, that's in in terms of volunteerism, certainly that can include uh, charitable giving. But uh, again, back to the long long view, you've got to have the long view and you do that by treating your donors with the long view. Further, if I might add, we won't be in our places longer and the relationship with a donor will extend beyond our time of service. This is a way of 
honoring and respecting donors by passing on good notes to our successors so that they can pick up where we left off. They can read about Patrick Kirby and say, wow, I understand now. Uh, I understand him better and I can respect him better and ask questions that get closer to home about what matters to Patrick. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's again, this is not about us. This is about our donors. This is about our organizations. But it's really it, it, the heart of it. It's the donors. We, you know, there's no mission without margin. No, there isn't, and that's and that's the best part about this. And we talk a lot about on the podcast. Um, it's not about your need to have as an organization. It's about the donors' need to give. And that's you right. clarified that so perfectly. And what a wonderful time to put that first and foremost. Now. I mean, the, the, the gift of time and pause to clarify how you do processes and procedures and just how you interact with people is a wonderful gift you have right now as an organization. And I know it's stressful and I know it's hard and, it, and we need to acknowledge that it's difficult, but the joy you can have where you can concentrate a little bit better and, and take and draw out some time that they might not have had. And to be that, um, that listener and that ear when they are frustrated and confused and concerned and you're, you're there for them first, they're going to remember it. They're going to appreciate you as a person. And then you get to do exactly what you said, uh, Martin, which is be that facilitator for good. And I think that's such a wonderful gift you're now giving donors and that you can give yourself, which is this uh, slow play for the long game that you have not had in a while because everybody's just kind of slowed down and you get to appreciate it now. And I think that's wonderful. I think over the course of my career, the greatest gift I've had in this wonderful work in the nonprofit sector has been getting to know truly extraordinary people and making the time. And this, as you said, is a moment of time to do this, Mm -hmm. to get to know better these wonderful people. I mean, usually the people we focus on in uh, more interpersonal, the most interpersonal ways possible. I mean, they're amazing people. Uh, they, they're just amazing. They're wise. They're incredibly generous. Uh, they, they're successful. Uh, they, you know, they're, they're the most honorable of people. And for us, for me, over my career, to be able to bump into these people and rub up against them and sit at their feet and just kind of, as I said earlier, be a sponge. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have made my life uh, indescribably richer. What an opportunity. I think so too. And again, just take this podcast for an example. There is no way that uh, in any other circumstance that, that you and I could connect on, on a level here that because you're so busy and we're so busy and this, this is the pause that allows us to connect in, in, in sort of give this advice and this, and this thing to the general public that I don't think we would have taken the time to do on a grand scale as many times as we're trying to do this and, and take that opportunity for your donors as well. You know, is, is, are there a couple of things that, that maybe you can give advice to or talk a little bit about as we kind of wrap up uh, sort of this particular, this particular podcast? We'll have you back uh, often and always because I'm just That's so nice excited and blessed to have you guys on here. Um, but is there a couple of things that you can leave those who are listening who are looking for a couple of nuggets of ways to move forward and, and use this time properly on what, what do they do now? What can they do today? What can they do tomorrow to help move the needle forward in your vast uh, number of years of experience? Well, certainly what we've been talking about, get in front of your donors, 
Uh, don't be fearful. Don't be afraid about this moment in time. Be courageous and uh, start reaching out and you're going to receive a warm response. So, you know, don't be afraid. Um, I would say also um, plan, plan for tomorrow. All right. Plan for tomorrow, because we're in this moment where people want to help people. And that's not going to die away. That's going to that's going to that's going to prolong as long as this crazy moment in uh, in our uh, life together continues. And we're going to come out of it together. So, uh, you know, think about the future, too. You've got time to uh, talk with your uh, colleagues and so on to do planning. Talk to your peers, talk to fellow fundraising professionals, fellow executive directors, and, or, and get their resources. There's so many great resources online that, you know, you don't have to leave your, your house to be educated. Go to it. Go to the Association for Fundraising Professionals, to Case, to Patrick Kirby, to Martin Liefeld. There's so many wonderful resources that are available and get educated and encouraged. You just don't know where that wonderful idea where you go, aha, I get it, and I can apply it just that way in order to make a, a, an, an immediate impact. Um, one other thing. This is a moment meant for us as human beings, right? And let's seize it for ourselves. I've been encouraging people, if you haven't done this recently, take time close your door of your bedroom, whatever, grab a notebook and start ask, reassess your life. Mm -hmm. Ask yourself this, what matters most? And start writing. Ask yourself this, who am I? And start writing. Ask yourself this, what will I do in the future? And start writing. Mm -hmm. Write pages if you have pages to write. Answer such simple questions and then reflect on them, and you're going to grow and develop and expand as a person. It has to happen. Now, what we don't want to focus on is I'm, I am not or I will not. Focus on the positive, what I am, what I can do, what I dream I can do. If you don't have a few uh, big, hairy, audacious goals, here's a time to think about it. Think larger for yourself and for your future than you're thinking today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, it, it, that's such great advice. And I think you're going to be able to, when you understand that and you take some time out for yourself, you're going to be able to serve others, your coworkers, your donors, um, your own family a little better. Uh, because I think a lot of people are going to come out of this with a clarity that they never had before because they never took the time. And I yep. think that is such amazing and wonderful advice professionally and personally that I think we can all use. Um, that is such a wonderful recap and a way to end this particular podcast. Uh, Martin Lifefield, thank you so much for being a guest on the official Do Good Better podcast. How can people get a hold of you once again and how do they pick up Five Minutes for Fundraising, uh, sure. the book, and, and how can we get a hold of you if we have questions and want to reach out and, and you say thanks for the podcast information. How do we get more information well, you can you can reach me. Uh, anyone can reach me at martin at martinlifeheld.com. I also am Martin Leifeld on LinkedIn, and people, you know, all kinds of people will message me through that, uh, as well as uh, as Facebook, LinkedIn. I have a large presence. Uh, as uh, you can find the book at the website, it's discounted, and I'll autograph it for you. 
uh, you can go to Amazon and pay a few bucks more and maybe get it more quickly. Hey, it's hey, true for those who are on YouTube. On. <laughs> for, for, for a YouTube, they like, literally, he autographs it, and it's wonderful. And I think I, <laughs> about that is is a, is, a, is a personal notes that you put in there. I mean, it's just you, you, you do it well and, and the best. And I think, just, I think everybody's will understand well, that when they start reaching out to you. It's unbelievable. Uh, but also, you know, you can get it for ten bucks, nine ninety nine at Amazon if you if you prefer to read on your Kindle or Kindle app. So outstanding, and of course, as always, we'll put all of that information in the show notes. Uh, Martin, thank you so much. Uh, just blessed to have you on the show to give some sort of advice and clarity and calm in a world that we're just trying to grasp for yeah. calm and clarity. And uh, yeah. so appreciative of you and your time on the show today. And uh, can't wait to have you on again. Really appreciate it. Well, thanks, Patrick. It's been delightful. It's good to spend time with you. Outstanding. Hey, we'll see you next time here on the official Do Good Better podcast. Hey, when you Google your hometown, what's the impression you get? Does it look like a vibrant, active community that would welcome your new business idea or welcome your family? Small Town Labs to the rescue! Hey, Active fun social media posts, upgrading your city website, improving your town's online curb appeal, even providing competitive analysis versus other small towns in your area. Small Town Labs will create everything that you need to sell your hometown to new businesses and to new homeowners. Heck, they even manage those leads for you. So email them today at buildsmalltowns at gmail.com. Again, buildsmalltowns at gmail.com. Hey, thank you, Small Town Labs, for being an official sponsor of the official Do Good Better podcast. There are countless videos, books, articles, and folks out there with suggestions on how to raise more money. Of course, that's a major problem. Too much information. Do Good University has an online library of lectures, courses, and trainings that concentrate on one thing, Making fundraising simple. Come join other like-minded do-gooders who are looking to unclutter their fundraising life. Enroll at Do Good University today at dogoodbetterconsulting.com.